Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is the only God that's got an empty tomb. You can visit all the other gods of the world. They're in a tomb somewhere, but not Jesus. Jesus is right here. If you're a guest today, you're feeling the presence of the Lord. And uh, I'm thankful for Easter. Now, I know that a lot of us have plans this afternoon and family dinners and all those kinds of things, but I want to pray a prayer just before I open the word of the Lord that we would just block all of the distractions of the day aside just for the next half hour or so and let God just do a work. Could you do that with me? Lord, I release my mind and my heart to you right now. Lord, block all of the distractions, though they go, they're good distractions and the things that are on the agenda for the day. But Lord, more important than all of those things, I want to hear from you. Give us hearts to receive and ears to hear what thus says the Spirit. And allow, allow us to draw closer to you in these next few minutes. By the power of the word of the Lord and the anointing of the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. Mark chapter 8. I'm reading from the New Living Version today. Mark chapter 8, verse number 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Oh, the audacity of Peter. But Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And I want to preach on a heavenly point of view today. And some of this is going to, it's just amazing how God ties things together. Some of this will tie in with what Randy taught this morning. I I want to turn to one other passage of Scripture, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture for Easter Sunday. Matthew 1. You'll get that in a minute. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram or Aram. Aram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Are you getting the point for Easter yet? Jesse, yeah, right. Some of you are saying, yeah, you ain't got it. <laughs> you have no idea where this is coming from. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. 
Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylon exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Methan. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The end. I want to preach from a heavenly point of view. Um, I, I, I have given up something for the most part every time I, every once in a while I pick it up. But one of the things that I have forsaken is the 10 o'clock news. I hate it. And uh, because I never see anything good. They, they list all of the bad things. Just this morning, I pulled up a news page on, on one of the local newscasts. So it wasn't the actual 10 o'clock news, but it was CBS News. And these were the headlines on their front page. There was a shooting at a party at an Airbnb in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There was a man accused of murder by putting a grandmother into a freezer. There was a war in Ukraine, if you haven't heard about that. The Taliban has recaptured Afghanistan. This one I found interesting. How many parents steal their kids' Easter candy? Taxes are expected to go higher. Tomorrow is the tax deadline for filing. Yippee, yippee. A driver hits a bank or a wall on I-94 West. More rain and snow enter the area this afternoon. Yeah, what? That's why I ignore the news. And there hasn't been a Minnesota sports champion since 1991. And to top it all off, when you watch these news broadcasts, the anchors sitting behind the desk tell us all of that with a nice smile. You see, there's, there's not a lot happening in the news that we would classify necessarily as good. A lot of what we classify as news today is heart-wrenching, it is uncertain, it is oftentimes worrisome and even from time to time a little scary. And as we look at our kids today who did such a wonderful job, we wonder sometimes and even worry sometimes what is it that they're going to have to deal with as they get older. Some of them are already dealing with things that we've never dealt with as kids. 
And as appealing as a deserted island may seem, sitting in a hammock on the beach with a nice breeze coming off the clear waters, it's not possible to live in seclusion. It's not possible to deal with what is happening in the world by trying to escape it. Because Jesus said it this way, you will have tribulation in the world, but have joy because I've already overcome it. And for a little while we're dealing with all of the headaches and we're dealing with all of the atrocities of what's in the news broadcasts today. And and I'm reminded when I read Mark chapter 8, what Simon Peter may have been thinking. Because in his day, if he had the internet, he could pull up on a page and he might see similar news headlines. The Romans have overtaken such and such a city. The Romans have persecuted the Jews and oppressed the Jews. The tax collectors have cheated once again. The political system is rigged for the powerful and against the poor. There's all kinds of headlines, brother against brother, sister against sister, family fighting family. It was found there in Jesus' day. But, and so Simon Peter, when he is hearing Jesus, he is recounting those headlines, and he's basically in his spirit saying, surely this cannot be happening. Because the passage of Scripture that I did not read this morning is the verses immediately preceding these verses in Mark chapter 8. You see, just a few verses before, in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the village near Philippi, and they were walking along, and he said, Who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Messiah. And so Jesus said, Don't tell anybody. And the very next verse, Jesus starts telling him about the Messiah. I'm going to be going into Jerusalem here in a few days, and I'm going to be rejected of the religious leaders and the political leaders. I'm going to die. And something in our brains as humans, we register the negative quicker than we register the positive. Because the positive here is almost ignored by Simon Peter. Jesus, it says he said it openly and clearly. Yes, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back in three days. You would think that Simon Peter would get excited because his Messiah just told him, yes, I might die, but just give it 72 hours and I'll be back with you. And yet that's not how Peter does it. Peter, in all of his wisdom, pulls Jesus aside. King James uses the word rebuke. New Living says reprimand. I don't know which one's worse. Jesus, you can't be talking like this. Jesus, I just declared that you're the Messiah. Messiah doesn't die. Messiah comes in 
on a conquering horse. Messiah is the anointed one of the Old Testament coming to take over the world and set up David's kingdom again. Jesus, you're not talking right. You're not thinking right. You're not seeing things clearly. Because Jesus, the Messiah that was talked about, says that the Messiah is going to come and is going to take over and raise up a Davidic kingdom that will last forever. Like Simon really knew what that all meant. But did you know that the term Messiah is an Old Testament principle? You don't find in the New Testament, I did a search on this, it blew my mind. It doesn't, except in the New Living, it doesn't use the word Messiah, it uses the word Christ in the New Testament. And, and, and what is the difference between Messiah and Christ? Perspective. You see, the disciples were operating from a picture of the Old Testament Messiah that was going to come and take over control. But the New Testament Christ was saying, I'm not going to take over control yet, but I am going to release my people. I am going to change what's going on in the world, not by political might, not by military might, but by serving and loving and dying and shedding the the permanent sacrifice that will take care of all your junk. You see, it's the difference between a messianic viewpoint and a Christologic viewpoint. When you get stuck in the past where you have to earn things, where you have to jump through hoops, where you have to go through all of the political, ideological, and even theological ideas of what God expects, it gets you nowhere except to the cross. But when you look at Jesus from a New Testament point of view, he is not the one that's overthrowing the the political agenda of the countries or the world, but he is stepping in and establishing a brand new kingdom that he wants us to be a part of. It's amazing. What kind of Messiah are you looking at today? an Old Testament or a New Testament. He wasn't seeing clearly. Do you know why the Jews missed him? Here's why the Jews missed him. Because for thousands of years, they established an hierarchy that God was way off in the distance. And because he was way off in the distance, he couldn't interact with us. In fact, they elevated God so much that they would not use vowels in his name. And they put God at such a distance that they would not allow God to interact with humanity. You know, it's back way, I'm dating myself, way, way, way back. Bette Midler sang a song from a distance. I understood what she was trying to say, but the mentality was wrong. Because from a distance, God doesn't see less of us. God's love sees us exactly for who we are, so he got closer. He didn't want to see us from a distance anymore. He wanted to see us up close and personal. 
And so he, the Bible says in chapter 1 of John, he became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the reason why the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because they saw God as some distant figure that was going to come in and just control everything where Jesus was wanting to come and be a part of something that allows you and I to share in his rulership. Now that does not make sense. How many here believe that you're worthy to rule and reign with Jesus? See, we we don't think of it in terms of, of like that. But can I just tell you we were we were kind of teasing yesterday in our house and it kind of hit me this morning when I thought back to it. Uh, we were finishing up dinner. And the boys, yes, the almost 14 and 19-year-old wanted their Easter bunny. They wanted their chocolate. And uh, Trisha teasingly said, well, it's not Easter yet. To their great response, Easter's not about candy, Mom. It's about Jesus. So we gave them the candy last night. But that statement started echoing in my brain this morning. I think it was Owen that said it. And it started echoing. Do you know that Easter's not about Jesus at all? I know that's a slap in some theological faces. But Easter is not about Jesus. Easter is about you and me. Easter is not about him. He already paid the price at Calvary. He knew what it was going to be all about. In his mind, the Bible says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, Easter had already happened. So when it actually comes to pass, Easter isn't about him. It's about us. It's about the price that he paid so that you and I could sit in this house today and celebrate his resurrection because he loved us so much that he gave himself for us. That's why I read the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew 1 because I want to point out the top 10 most unreliable people in the lineage of Jesus. Can, Can I just... You know, if I was setting up my lineage, I would not choose the one that Jesus chose. Uh, there, there were some people that just would not have qualified to procreate me. But you see, the way the Lord did it, did you notice? I'm just going to list these ten people and just give you. But Abraham, the father of nations, the friend of God, Did you know that he lied two different times to the Egyptians, telling him that his wife was his sister because he was too afraid that he was going to get killed and and, and Sarah was going to be taken? And so he lied and caused all kinds of chaos. And did you also know that his son Isaac, that was number one, Abraham, number two, Isaac, followed very closely in his father's footsteps and he lied about Rebekah because he didn't want to get killed. Rebekah wasn't worth his life. Let them take her. Don't worry about that. 
And did you know that the next line of generation is Jacob? And we all know his story. Jacob meant deceiver. Jacob deceived his way into his birthright. Those are the three that I would classify as patriarchs. But it gets worse. Did you know that the son of Jacob is named Judah? And it's very interesting in Matthew that it identifies that he, the mother of Tamar, uh, 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 the mother of Zerah was Tamar. The reason is, if you read that in the Old Testament, Tamar is actually Jake, uh, Judah's daughter-in-law, who was actually a streetwalker that Judah paid for, and then when he found out that she was a streetwalker, he tried to convict her in a court by saying that she was a prostitute. Lineage. Judah. Doesn't, doesn't, that, that's not the people that I would choose. Rahab. We love the story of Jericho and Rahab. But do you understand that Rahab was a harlot? Not the lifestyle of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Did you notice that a couple of generations later came Ruth, who was not even Jewish? She was a foreigner. So God makes up for it, and he raises up Jesse and then David. A man after God's own heart. David, the psalmist. David, the worshiper. David, the one that wrote all kinds of songs of joy unto God. David, the one that danced before the Ark of the Covenant. David, the one that God chose. The David, the one that would slay ten thousands. David, the adulterer and the murderer. And then Solomon. Solomon to me is an oxymoron. The wisest man in history who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If that's wisdom, I question. Strongly question. But then there's a couple here that we don't talk about very much. But if you read about Manasseh, Manasseh made his kids walk through fire. And then his son Amos, or Asa, he directly rejects God. Think of that. The one that directly rejects God is in the lineage of God. Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Easter isn't about us. It's about him doing something in us. It's not just that he rose from the tomb and claimed his rightful place as our Messiah. It's the whole concept of Easter was so that something could happen through him in us. Why did he choose the lineage that he chose? I'll tell you why he chose the lineage he chose. He chose the lineage because he knew we would watch the 10 o'clock news. 
He knew that as bad as it gets in 2022, his lineage was worse. He knew as dark as our lives would get, no matter how bad it is, I don't know of a murderer here today that's in the darkness and killing people, but he had somebody that's going to want to again in the future take up a throne because he was born of God in the lineage of the Messiah, in the, in the lineage of the one that was going to change history. See... We, we don't think of it like this. We get excited because Jesus didn't stay on the cross and the tomb is empty. But what is he really trying to say? Just that he's a risen Savior? Oh, that's powerful. That's anointed. But more than that, it means that his lineage goes on to you. How do I know that? I, I know that because of this. Mary gave birth to Jesus. And then there's no more earthly children. Jesus never marries. Jesus never has kids. The lineage of the Messiah stops with Jesus. Why? Because there is a transition that takes place in the man Jesus. While he's laying in a tomb, his humanity becomes glorified and a new creation is made. As he steps from the tomb, he comes out as a glorified being so that you and I could now be glorified ourselves. Oh, do you get this? Do you understand that Easter is where you can find your glorification? What's glory? It's the weight of his presence. Did you know that until there was an empty tomb, the presence of God could not dwell with us? It couldn't dwell with us. How do I know that? John chapter 7, verse 38, verse 37. On the last day, at the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered into his glory. Ah, there is a presence available to you and I because of an empty tomb. What we sense on an individual basis in this house is because of Easter. What we have, in, and the thing is, is he chooses us from all kinds of backgrounds. Listen, the famine in Joseph's time could not starve the promise of his glory resting in us. 400 years in Egypt could not oppress it. The wilderness couldn't lose it. Babylon couldn't destroy it. Herod couldn't kill it. 
and the crucifixion couldn't bury it. The promise is alive and well today, and Jesus is stepping into your life, saying the promise that I made before I said, let there be, and there was, the promise that I established in my mind a long, long time ago is still available to you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. Peter, you're not seeing it from heaven's point of view. See, your earthly nature, your human point of view is temporary. Did you know that the average age of any kingdom or country in the history of time where it was the leader of the world lasted about 200 years? Now, there's been some that's been longer, but it's changed over and over and over and become a different kind of country over and over and over again. But you think about it, maybe a little bit more than 200, but you think about even in the Old Testament, you had Nebuchadnezzar, you had the Medes and Persians, you had the Greeks, you had the Romans, you had the Greeks. Over and over and over again, different different countries or different mindsets, different cultures overtook the world. And and they they have tracked that. And and so what Jesus is saying is, Peter, if I just came as your Messiah now and took over, nothing would change. You'd still be the same. You would have a different leader. Get, Get this, please. You would have a different leader. You'd have a different system of government. Maybe I would rule with mercy and grace where Rome doesn't rule with mercy and grace. But if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, you'll never really get the kingdom. You'll only get this kingdom. Because, Simon Peter, what you don't understand is in a few more days when I'm hanging on a cross and I shout out, it is finished, and I hang my head for the last time that there is going to be something that happens in the Holy of Holies and the veil that was stuck between you and your access to the presence of God is going to be rent and torn from the top to the bottom. Rent and torn that no man could do on their own. It's going to be a supernatural. God is getting ready to expose his presence to mankind so you're looking at it as a small thing. I'm looking at a heavenly thing. If I don't don't do this, I can't get to you. And Easter is about you, and I need to get to you. So why was he rejected? Because we're rejected? At some point in our lives, all of us have been rejected from something. Why was he beaten? Because all of us have suffered a beating from time to time whether it be physical, mental, emotional, we've all experienced it. Why did he bear the stripes upon his back? Because he knew we'd get sick. Why was he mocked and ridiculed? Because he knew we'd feel the same. Why was he spit on? Because he knew that we would suffer indignities. Why? Peter, this is what you don't understand. Why? 
do I have to die? Peter, you're all going to die. But Peter, why am I going to rise again? Because you're going to rise again too. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies. For when I fall, not if I fall, but when I fall, I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm going to fall on my face. I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to mess things up. But when I fall, don't start your rejoicing too early because there's something that's already happened because I've come across a Messiah that left an empty tomb. I shall arise. It's not how many times you face plant. It's how many times you face plant, pick something up and get up and keep moving. Oh, somebody needs the story of Easter. The story of Easter is not just about an empty tomb, but it's about a people sitting at 10110 Woodcrest in 2022. It's about you and I sitting in the presence of Almighty God. He did it all from a heavenly point of view because he saw you sitting here today. Well, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. You're right, it doesn't. It doesn't. But the Bible says this, through the foolishness of preaching, through the foolishness of declaring, many are saved. Easter, why is it so powerful? Because it was the moment in time that the doors opened for man to step into the presence of God unfiltered. You know, I've got to give the Old Testament priests a lot of accolades. Because quite honestly, I can't imagine the burdens that was on that high priest during the Passover. When he put on his priestly gowns and he took the spotless lamb and he sacrificed it, and he went to the laver of water. And just before he went into the holy place, they made sure the bells were attached to the bottom and the hem of his garment, and they would tie a rope around his waist. And he would go into the holy of holies one time a year to put the blood on the mercy seat. And if the Lord allowed the blood to be uh, soaked up on the mercy seat outside of the tabernacle, you would see a glory cloud of God come and rest upon the, on the mercy seat on the Holy of Holies. And the people on the outside knew that God accepted the sacrifice. And the, the high priest would walk back out and, and he would breathe a sigh of relief because he had been in the presence of God. But if he wasn't ready if his heart wasn't right, if the people on the outside of the holy place stopped hearing the bells ring, they had a, because they weren't going in to get him, they would just start pulling him back out because the presence of God had killed that person. 
I, I know you don't see that in Scripture. You have to go to manners and customs and, and, and read the history of what the Jews did at that time and that day. But, but that was their mentality because they knew that the glory of God was so powerful because they remembered back to when the Ten Commandments had been given when Moses said, God, just show me your glory. And God said, I can't show you my glory because it's going to consume you. So I'm going to make a a spot in the rocks for you and I'm going to hide you there and I'm going to let you see just the remaining parts as I walk by. And the glory was so powerful that when he came down with the Ten Commandments, he had to come down with a veil on his face and still the awe of the presence of God was so powerful that the people of Israel couldn't hardly bear it. What a pressure to be a preacher then. See, I don't have to go to God for you. Thankful that you can go to God on your own. Why? Because of Easter. Pastor, I'm a cheat. So were the patriarchs. Pastor, I've committed adultery. So did the king that was after God's own heart. God, I've, I've done murder. Yes, yeah, so, did, so did he. Pastor, I've been immoral. Yes, yeah, so was Judah. Pastor, I, I don't even, didn't even know if I really even believe in God. Yeah, neither did Aaron. God, I've been mean to my kids. I've abused, I've been an abuser. I've, you don't know my story. Yeah, Manasseh was too. God, I've been unfaithful. I've been as a harlot. I, I, I haven't done the things that I know I'm supposed to. Yeah, so did Rahab. Pastor, I don't know anything about Christianity. I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything about the Lord. I don't know any of that. Yeah, neither did Ruth. And yet it was through them through them that our Jesus came for us. Who's to say that you're not the next one that Jesus is going to say, there's a people that need access to me, and I'm going to use you to get there. I invite you to stand. Easter is a powerful thing. Not sim. I'm glad. I, I'm happy. I get overjoyed when I know that we serve him of an empty tomb. But quite frankly, I get more excited when I understand why. Because he's got a place for me in his presence. And I don't have to rely on any of you. And you don't have to rely on me for our sacrifice to be accepted. Why? Because Hebrews says we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. Because he's been tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Would you just bow your heads? Jesus, on this Easter Sunday, I'm thankful that you didn't stay in the tomb I'm thankful that you ascended and that you sent your spirit to us. I'm thankful, God, for the example that you gave through your lineage, that people are not perfect, but they are chosen, that people are not always correct, 
but they are always more than conquerors through you. I'm asking you, Lord, for somebody in this house to catch the revelation of Easter, that it's not just about the resurrected king, but it's about them becoming the lineage of Jesus, used of you, manifest through you, so that somebody else could find you. God, I'm asking you to help us to become the representatives of an empty tomb, representatives of a glorious kingdom that's available to all, no matter what their history says. Jesus, I'm asking you to wrap your arms around the one that struggles. Lord, I'm asking those that, that have been beating themselves up because of their failures. Lord, and I'm asking you to let them feel the strength of your embrace right now. Let them feel your arms wrap around them and hold them tight. Let them feel your heartbeat and your love and your mercy and your grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Lord, I'm asking you to let all of us feel the empowerment of your anointing. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet, that the message and the spirit of an empty tomb would reside in us, Lord, and come out of us. I'm asking you to send us into the highways and the byways, Lord, so that our lives could compel others to come to you. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory for all things. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We love you all so very much. Have a great Easter Sunday. Don't forget all the events this week, and we'll see you all back here next Sunday. There's no Sunday school. It's family day, so we'll sugar you up at about quarter till 10. We'll have church at 1030. God bless you.